This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hello. So this week we're talking about investing in veganism, a big change to cash savings accounts, the UK funds that have delivered since Brexit and another Woodford delay. So first up, I thought it's probably worth having a quick look at what's been happening on the stock market. Um, so airlines have been doing pretty well off the back of a positive update from Ryanair. Uh, we've had a few more retailers come and tell us about how well they've done at Christmas, or rather how badly they've done. Card Factory was coming out with a terrible update. Share Because no one sends Christmas cards well, this anymore. Is it. I'm glad you asked that question, or rather... I didn't ask a question. Uh, you know sure. what I meant. Yeah. So. Um, I, I always think that every year you think, I seem to have fewer cards through the post. Do you have fewer friends each year? Well, though? this is, yeah, you, actually, no, I have a consistent group of friends. <laughs> but I think people just don't bother anymore. And actually, this year, I think I was probably guilty of sending fewer cards as well. I actually sent cards this year. I'm reversing the trend. Normally, I donate to charity instead of doing cards. And then that's a win-win because a charity gets some money. And I feel guilt-free about not having the faff of sending cards. But this year, I brought it back. I decided to send cards. It's quite Didn't nice. really get many yeah. in return, I guess, because I haven't done it for quite a long time. <laughs> Um, and so we've also had people like Boohoo, they did very well. Um, Games Workshop as well, they did a fantastic update the other day. Uh, I know I certainly spent a bit of cash there for my nephew who loves all the Warhammer stuff. Do I don't you- think I've ever stepped foot inside a Games Workshop shop. It should go. It's quite an interesting experience. You, it, It's very... Uh, excitable people trying to gauge whether you're in this sort of community of... Oh, God, um, I would fail at the first uh, hurdle there, wouldn't I? Sort of uh, geeks and nerds. So that's probably a bit unfair to call them that. But um, I think when I walked in, I was like, literally, they could tell as soon as I walked in, I I have no idea what I was asked about. I just wanted to buy something I had written down on a bit of paper for my nephew. But but yeah, I mean, they they certainly cracked the model about, um, you know, give customers what they want and engage with them really well. Because they're talking about when people apply for jobs, um, Part as well as the skills of being able to work in retail, one of the most important things is that you understand that you've got to engage with the, with the people that walk through the door. So yes, they're doing it. They're doing it very well. Um, and we also had BlackRock, the asset manager, say that climate crisis will now dictate investments um, for them. But all the environmentalists are pointing out that this company is waist deep in uh, investments in oil and coal and stuff. So it's a bit of a hypocrite, really. But Yeah, I think people are waiting to see whether their big statement actually is a grand statement or whether it comes into uh, any differences in terms of how money is run. Mm, I think it's just a bit of a buzzword in the investment industry, isn't it? Sustainability, ESG and stuff. So, we'll, um, you know, it's a topic that I'm sure we'll come back to on the podcast very soon. And also, Woodford had an update since we did the last podcast. Um so uh, I'm sure everyone knows the backstory of, of um, Woodford's fund being suspended. It's now being wound up. Um, and the latest information is investors were expecting their first payment, so repayment of their money that they'd invested, on the 20th of January. And that date's now been delayed to the 30th of January. Um, so investors will be told on the 28th of this month uh, what the distribution will be, so how much money they're actually getting back. Um, and then it'll be paid out a bit after the 30th, particularly if you hold your money on a platform then you'll, you might have a couple of days delay after it's actually paid out. Um, 
And there was also a performance update that accompanied it, and it looks fairly bleak. So since the fund was suspended in June, um, the fund is now lost 15%. Oh, um, and that's in a time when the FTSE All Share has gone up more than 9%. So that's really frustrating for people, isn't it? So not mm. only is your money locked away, there's nothing you, you can say, nothing you could do to, to put it somewhere else in a better part of the market. So, um, so I guess it's interesting to see what people do with all that that cash when they get here, uh, whatever they've got left. Um, I wonder if people sort of started to think about where they want to put it next. Yeah, it's definitely something I think a lot of people will wait to see how much it is and then work out what they want to do with it. And I think it depends the kind of investor you are, whether it was a small part of your portfolio and you take a pragmatic view that it was obviously a terrible case and, and it's ended terribly, but that you find a good new home for your money or whether you're kind of a more novice investor and this might have... I think there'll certainly be some people out there where if this was their first investment and they've lost a significant amount, could make them quite wary of the sector overall. Yeah, well, I hope it I hope it doesn't stop people from mm, investing. It's, it's, uh, people should look at it as, you know, they've learned a lesson, but you know, still to persevere because that's a, it's, it's a long-term game, really, investing. So. so the regulator had some interesting new plans for the savings market. So earlier on... Today, I met an expert to talk about it. So now let's listen to that interview. So I'm here today with Anna Bose, co-founder of Savings Champion, to talk about some very interesting changes that might happen with cash savings accounts. So Anna, one of the big financial regulators is proposing that banks stop messing about with rates on savings accounts. Can you actually tell us what might happen? Yes, yeah, so the Financial Conduct Authority has proposed that uh, banks have to produce a single easy access rate uh, after 12 months. So they will allow them to offer these really good introductory interest rates to, to lure customers in. But what they're trying to do is to stop banks from just tickling the rates down, which means that people tend not to move. So they're saying after 12 months, everybody in an easy access account with each provider would have to go on to this one single rate so that everyone can know what they're going to be earning after 12 months. And that way, the FCA, which is the Financial Conduct Authority, they are hoping that these banks will compete on their single easy access rate. And that will try and improve the lot for loyal customers. So what, what happens though? Let's think if, if the Bank of England changes the base rate, um, does that have an impact on this long term um, single easy access rate? Does, I mean, can, can the banks go and change it? Um, my understanding is, I mean, this is still a proposal at the moment. It's in a consultation period. But my understanding is that, yes, the banks will be setting their own single easy access rate and they'll be setting one for cash ISAs as well, easy access cash ISAs. So they can dictate what they're going to pay on this single easy access rate. So it could be very low or it could be much more competitive. So when the Bank of England changes the base rate, you would expect to see all of the banks and building societies also changing their rates. Certainly when the Bank of England cuts the base rate, you will see all of the banks rushing to cut their rates as well. When the base rate goes up, it's not quite as good. They don't behave quite as well. And often they, you would see some of these old accounts would be increased by something. Some may not be increased by anything at all. Very few would be increased by the full base rate rise. But what this new account should do is make it easier for you to see how the bank is going to behave when there is a base rate change. 
And I imagine this will be followed quite closely, um, particularly in the early days once the changes, because I think the public would want to see that the banks are behaving appropriately, aren't Yeah, they? at the moment, um, whilst the Financial Conduct Authority is saying that these SEERS, which is a single easy access rate, are to be published, at the moment there's not necessarily going to be a public um, facing list of all of them so it will be people like me and and journalists um, it will be us to tell customers what they are getting from their bank so their bank will tell them what they're getting on their on their single easy access rate but it might be more difficult than to see what everybody else is doing so that's our role our role is to educate people that you might be able to get something much better somewhere else so is this is this part of the fca's sort of push to stop banks from shortchanging loyal savers or is it simply about making it easier to you to go to go out and see and compare what the rates well, are well what the what the fca wants to do is to uh, improve the, the the competition in the market especially for longer term customers because people put their money into a savings account and then tend to leave it where it is they don't switch very very few people switch their savings account so what happens is they end up on a very very low rate of interest and the fca is saying that's not really very fair you're not treating your loyal customers very well so they're hoping that this will improve the situation for the loyal customers by seeing the banks competing with their single easy access rate and therefore putting rates up a bit um but but your other question, it's, 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 it's good because actually it will be easy to compare because rather than having maybe some some providers could have, you know, 50 or 60 easy access accounts that are no longer open for new business, but people have got money in them and they'll all have different rates. So for a lot of people, it's very difficult to know what they're earning and therefore they don't know if they could find something else that's paying better because they don't know what they've got. And therefore, they do nothing. So I guess the the banks could potentially be um, increasing the rates for the first year, the introductory offer, um, in a, in a bid to sort of win more customers, and then hope that they'll, um, through inertia, won't really care or, or look to see what will happen to the rate afterwards. Well, well that that has been what has happened in the past, hmm. to be honest with you. So um, the, the the providers are good. Some providers are good at. Uh, putting out these te teaser rates, they call them, which means that um, it, it's a much better rate. But after 12 months, generally after 12 months, that rate will drop quite significantly. Now, th over the years, there are fewer accounts that do have very large bonuses or teaser rates. So it's not quite as simple as that now. And some of the big banks who have the majority, who hold the majority of our savings, because it's very convenient to, to leave your savings with your current account provider, for example, they are paying extremely low rates. They're not trying to attract customers at the moment. So they're already paying very, very low rates on their easy access accounts for both live and closed. So for, for new and existing customers. So can, you, can you give us an example of how mean are these banks? What sort of rates could you expect? Well, actually, unbelievably, we've seen um, three of the big banks have either cut rates or are proposing cut rate cuts in the next couple of months. So um, HSBC, for example, the flexible saver went down from 0 0.15, 0 0.15 <laughs> to 0 0.1 on the 18th of December. Lloyd's as well for new customers on its on, on its easy access account. New customers are now going to be earning 0.1% going forward. Existing customers at the moment will be getting 0.2, so slightly higher 
but I, I imagine that will probably change. And then NatWest has also declared that it's going to be cutting the rates on its easy access accounts from February. So this is how low the rates are if you leave your money languishing yeah. in your high street bank. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? So, I mean, what, what, so if you were looking for the best buy rate, this is sort of one point to 1.5 is it yeah 1.4 at the moment there's only one account that's paying 1.4 as we're recording this um, there are a few at 1.35 but significantly there are a number of them paying much more than one percent and therefore you can see the difference that that can really make to to your cash so what what do you think might happen? So if the FCA um, goes ahead with these proposals and they actually get actioned, do you think that savings providers will actually have to sort of cut rates on some of their other accounts in order to sort of make up? Because I, I figure if they're going to have to be potentially a bit more generous with the sort of the, the post twelve month period on this single easy access rate, they're going to have to make up for it elsewhere. Aren't well, they? that's that's the worry. Yeah. Of course they are. They're not going to find money from from nowhere so what what the worry is that either they will cut the introductory rates and so those people who are active engaged switchers will suffer because they won't be able to find quite as good deals as they can at the moment even i'm saying that ironically because rates are very very low at the moment but they they will no longer be able to find these better introductory rates etc or, or or 12 month rates um or you could see that mortgage rates would have to rise. So they, they, there's going to need to be uh, uh, something's going to have to to give in order to be able to afford it if the providers do actually compete on their single easy access rate, which we, we have to wait and see. One, if it's introduced, and two, if it actually does make any difference. Yeah. Do, do you think the, the banks are angry about these proposals or have they really sort of seen it coming for quite a while? Well, well, there has been a, uh, there was a, a discussion paper launched by the, the Financial Conduct Authority over 18 months ago. So they've already known that something like this is, is stirring. And I think that they have been able to get away with paying these very poor rates. Um, and when there are other areas that are being reviewed for loyalty as well, like insurance, etc., they probably would have guessed that it would get to them at some point. But as I say, it's there's no sort of, it's not ruling it with an iron rod. They're allowing, the FCA is saying the banks are going to be able to set these rates themselves. So it, it could be that it's just business as usual. Yeah, so I guess people shouldn't perhaps think they're going to be um, this big, massive upturn in, in rates that you'll get on savings accounts. You still need to shop around for the for the best deal. You do, and some of the figures that that have been uh, looked at is that they're saying there is about there are about forty million savers, and the average they, they think that the FCA has estimated it'll be about two hundred sixty one million pounds in additional interest raise. That equates to about £6.50 per person. So you, you've got to look at it that the only way you're actually going to improve your interest in your pocket is by switching to a different provider, especially if you're with a high street bank. Those That's the area where even if they do something, it's not likely to be significant. It's not likely to make a huge amount of difference. So if you get up and move to somebody else, then that might start making these banks think we have got to compete on this on this 12 month, on this long term account. We have got to compete and that might help improve competition generally. Excellent. Anna, thanks ever so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how that all plays out. Now, as it's January, lots of people are doing veganuary, and even Boris Johnson was asked this week if he was going to be doing it. But Dan, you've been looking at whether this is a bandwagon that investors can jump on to make a profit. Well, it's, just, it, it's everywhere, isn't it? You go into a shop or a restaurant or open the newspaper, everyone seems to be talking about it, whether it's 
product launches from retailers, you know, f- food retailers, I should say, or food and drink retailers, um, it's whether the big debate about can you be a vegan if um, you also wear a leather jacket? I mean, that's another thing, isn't it? Or should we... Re- referring to plant-based diet and not the term vegan. Um, it's I mean, amazing how mainstream it's become from, I, I think vegans even 10 years ago were such a small pocket of society. And now you, we see people like Greg's launching, that's a very mainstream products um, aimed specifically at that market or kind of part-time vegan people as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the point from uh, an investment perspective is this doesn't seem like uh, a fad. It actually seems like a, a sort of a structural shift in how we're all behaving. And therefore, um, you've got this very big change in society. And if you're looking for investment opportunities, you know, surely there must be something that you can put money into in which to benefit or profit from how we are potentially changing the way we live our lives. Is it a case, though, that um, it's kind of a small part of much bigger companies though so it's quite hard to invest in an individual company that's whole purpose is to produce vegan food or is to to support a vegan lifestyle yeah so i mean the the team at chairs magazine we've been we we sat down recently and we tried to sort of work out how could you go about doing this so did you have a vegan sausage roll from greg's while you sat down and worked it out um no we should have done you should have done yeah no (laughs) but we, we we sort of sat down we can you can you can either invest in um so companies and funds or uh, that are either directly involved in it or, or got something going on. But it, it was very clear at that point. If, if I give you the example of Marks and Spencer, so you can go to one of its shops and you can buy um, a vegan sausage roll. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, when that company reports its earnings, um, the sales of vegan products, I don't think are going to sort of move the needle in terms of have a big influence on its earnings. Particularly a company that big that's got yeah. so many different business lines in it. And then but if you look at Greg's, I think something a bit different there. Now, it had a bit of a first mover advantage with the vegan sausage roll about a year ago. The publicity it got from that brought people into its shops and you've seen with its earnings announcements subsequently throughout 2019 is that this interest in going to its shops, perhaps triggered by the vegan sausage roll, has been sustained and the earnings keep getting better and better and better. Now, it's launched um, this vegan steak bake and it's talking about launching a vegan donut very soon as well. Uh, and you're, you're seeing endless amounts of publicity. I mean, it, in, so I, I do think that where maybe if you look just at the the, the income it got from just from vegan sausage rolls, that may be a small percentage of its overall sales. It's what it's done to encourage people to visit its shops and spend elsewhere. And for its brand profile, I yeah, guess. Yeah, so I think that um, that's very much a company which has clearly benefited from this trend and has set itself up for something, you know, in, potentially very big going forward if that's how we're living our lives. I guess investors have to ask themselves the question of whether, because it did see such success off the vegan sausage roll, whether the business model that it now seems to be employing, which is go through its product line one by one and make a vegan version of it and and release them one by one. I guess investors have got to ask whether they think that's sustainable or whether the kind of hype and the the excitement around product launches will die out over time and won't have the same effect. I think so. But if they go into a store and they have a good experience and perhaps they buy something else and they quite like it, 
I think it's just, it, it, it could get them coming back for more. And that's what we, we seem to have seen that um, throughout 2019. It's not a, not a one-off boost, because normally you, you do get companies say, yeah, yeah, we had those publicity and, and we did well, but it sort of died away. Now, it hasn't actually said that. Um, so another company we've been looking at is Unilever. So this is household brands in your... Kind uh, of behind everything, y- aren't yeah. they? From I mean, toothpaste to... Ice cream and margarine and tea. I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure they've still got margarines. But it, literally, if you open your, your cupboard or look in your fridge freezer, they've got products. Now, they bought a company a few years ago um, which specialises in vegan products. So you, you can see that they're trying to plug into it. But I don't think it would move the dial too much. It's a bit like a Marks and Spencer's example where it might increase sales in that one business line, but that will be such a small proportion of... Yeah, but you... you, And then if you look at something like Premier Foods, which is... um, Again, it's, it sort of makes lots of different cakes and sort of stuff like that. They've launched a, a new brand called Plantastic, so uh, dessert pots and cake bars. Plantastic is a terrible brand name. I don't yeah. like that already. So it, I'll it's... inform them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say the initial days. I don't know. It might, it, but you know, if that brand takes off, it, it, that might have a bit more impact. But um, th- this is the problem that everyone seems to have a product now or is developing one. Competition is so intense in this industry that you're going to have to make sure the product you're, you've developed is is good. Um, and this this is where I came across a company called Kerry, which are um, ingredients business. Um, it's very big. It's on the London Stock Exchange. A lot of people don't don't know. I'm looking it. blankly. Yes. <laughs> so um, I was reading some stuff from uh, a stockbreaking analyst about it, and they were saying that the first wave of vegan or even the sort of vegetarian food was um, get the product in the store, but actually the experience wasn't great. Um, and what was lacking, particularly vegan pro- products, was the taste. So this new sort of uh, wave of products we're having now, they actually taste, a lot of thought's gone into taste, and, and that's very important. That I think if, if you're buying, like, um, I used to be a vegetarian, and I, I can, can't tell you how many different veggie burgers I've had in my life. I mean, some of them are just, they are absolutely terrible. They're sort of mush of vegetables squashed together. If the vegan movement's going to really last, they're going to have to have, you want to buy, go back and buy the products again and again and again. So Kerry is an ingredients company, um, and they're actually seeing demand for making vegan products tasty. Um, it might be a, a sort of a meatless version of a big burger. There's a massive amount of people who want that to taste like meat. This flexitarian, I don't know if you know this mm. um, term, you used to describe people who, they don't want to give up meat or dairy completely. They just want to change their life and cut back a bit. So when they buy a vegan product, they actually want it to taste a bit like what they're used to, um, but they know perhaps it's a bit better for them, which is the big question mark over some of them. I think this the salt content in, in a lot of these products is quite high, and um, I, I wonder if 2020 will be the year where you might start seeing people sort of analysing it and saying, this is not as healthy as you thought which I think is fine because eating a, a, a meaty diet isn't necessarily healthy all the time. I guess it's about sometimes buying these pre-made, pre-packaged stuff like like the veggie burgers or vegan burgers that you talked about. And sometimes it's about just cooking from scratch, which I guess is like any 
form of cooking, whatever you're eating. Yeah. So it, on, from an investment perspective, if you go to, if you look at the, the US stock market, the one stock that everyone... Um, Beyond sort of, Meat. Yes, associates with vegan is Beyond Meat. So it, it launched last year, its shares went through the roof. Uh, they came back a bit, but this year... We should probably just explain what it is for those that... So Beyond Meat is like... Protein-based stuff. That, so they, they supply uh, various different companies with um, sort of the ingredients and actual products for um, burgers and that sort of stuff. Um, so this year alone, so we're only a couple of weeks into the year, the, the share price is up 50%. What? Already this year. That feels unsustainable, doesn't it? Well, I think it's people sort of... The, the commentary I've read about it was it joined the stock market last year. Everyone was looking for a way to play the vegan movements. Shares shot up. Then everyone's going, hang on, this is way overvalued. So it fell back a bit. Start of this year, everyone's talking about vegan. Particularly because um, it's Veganuary, start of the year. People yeah. are talking about going vegan. So it, And people are saying, okay, well, perhaps, perhaps actually they really are onto something. The company's talking about expanding across China and Europe as well. Um, if you're a fan of the rapper Snoop Dogg, which I'm sure Always. you are. Um, so Dunkin's Donuts has got a new sort of product, which is... Uh, including some of Beyond Meat's plant-based protein as well. So a huge publicity they've had off this So product. I guess that's a bit like the Greg's offering because Dunkin' Donuts is a bit kind of that level of convenience market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think this is the, we're going through, we've gone through the natural sort of hype cycle, um, perhaps the reality bit. And I, and I, and I think we're, we're going to the next stage now where people are going to be a bit more um, sort of picky about saying like, of these companies, how well are they actually doing? You can't simply just have a vegan product to, to get the sort the vegan pound as we call it so um and i guess people can look beyond just the the food side of things so obviously veganism is largely concentrated around food but there's a much wider and broader movement around kind of reducing plastic waste and and changing other areas of your life in terms of particularly i'm thinking of things like um lush the um how would we describe them? A bit like Body Shop, but... The bath bomb maker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're, just anecdotally, from walking past their shops, they've got so much busier because they do a lot of things that mean that you don't have to have plastic bottles for your shampoo. Um, they're a lot more environmentally friendly. So I guess investors, if they're thinking about this movement, could also think more broadly, couldn't they, into kind of wider areas like that? I think so, yeah. I mean, it does... It, there's a... Um uh, there's an exchange-traded sort of tracker fund in America called U.S. Vegan Climate ETF. Um, it launched in September last year. It's up by about 10% already in value. If if you look to see the companies that it's tracking, you'd think it would be your Beyond Meats and Greggs and stuff, but mm. it's not. It's like Apple, Facebook, Bank oh. of America, and it's all a bit strange. But actually, what what it's doing is applying sort of a filter, avoiding companies that aren't doing good to the environment and um, so it explicitly avoids what it would term bad companies rather than including well, positively it, including there's a bit of this companies. positive inclusion and it's all mm. bad exclusion but it, it i think the vegan sort of theme is fall under sort of the broader esg sort of environmental social governance sort of stuff so it, it, you know, if, if you're an investor actually it's a bit hard to sort of fully understand exactly what's going on it's not like you can just say I want a vegan tracker fund and I want it to be tracking all the companies that are making and selling vegan products. And it's not like, I mean, it comes back to some of the discussions we've had about kind of ethical investing broadly. You can't just think, oh, that fund's got ethical on its name. It's going to be completely aligned with my view of what ethical is or what companies should invest in. So, yeah. Need I, to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, we'll see. So, um, are you a vegan? Are you secret? I guess we should have put a disclaimer. So, Laura, are you a vegan? I'm not. No, oh. I was a vegetarian. 
And then I had a bacon sandwich. <laughs> I and I haven't looked back. Well, I used to buy, when I was a vegetarian, I used to buy uh, a product, I don't know if it still exists, called Meatless Streaks. So you, oh, yes, I used to have them. You'd put, they were awful. Yeah. Uh, oh, I th- sorry, did you say awesome? Um, <laughs> you put sort of three rashes in the frying pan and they had this sort of exactly the design of a wave of fat through them. Mm. And then... You took a tiny bit of oil, and as you as the heat came through, my God, this the, the insane amount of smoke would come off them. Yes. Um, and you're thinking, that's just weird. And then you sort of crunch on it with that, you're trying to smile. Oh, thinking A second of overcooking just made it <laughs> yeah. the hardest, crunchiest thing ever. But weirdly, I persisted with it. You just want, to, you know, if you're veggie, you want that bacon experience, don't you? Bacon and ketchup and, you know, whatever. I got fancy. that by yeah. having bacon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we've just passed a month since the general election result, which has flown by. Um, And obviously at that time we saw markets rally. um, And we thought it'd be interesting to look back at the funds that have benefited in that month period. So we've looked just at UK focus funds, um, because that's where the predominantly the rally was after the Conservatives won. Um, And it's interesting. So basically smaller companies did much better than larger ones, right? Why do you reckon that is? So I would say smaller companies, typically more domestically focused, so more reliant on the UK's fortunes, a solid uh, general election result in terms of a big majority for one party shows more of uh, certainty for the outlook for the UK and for Brexit particularly. So that gives a boost to that market. Are you going to tell me I'm wrong now? No, no, I think that's, I think that's right. And you know, oh, There's good. some argument that they might have been really cheap. There was no yeah. interest. There, you know, there, there, was, there was very little interest from overseas investors in the UK stock market for a number of years. For a really long time, yeah. And, and within that, there was definitely no interest from overseas investors in small companies at all. So... Uh, I think they're just—they perhaps were playing a bit of catch-up, really. So it, it's—I mean, uh, give us give us some examples of um, how much these funds have sort of jumped, perhaps in the month since the general election results. So in the month since the general election, if we look at funds, we looked at funds and investment trusts. But if you look at the top performing fund, it was up more than eleven percent during that period. I mean, that is brilliant. One month, eleven percent. Mm. Again, I always go back to if you took your cash in a big brown suitcase to the bank and say... As I always do. <laughs> uh, say, what is your best rate? They'd be like going, yeah, here we are. Here's 1% for 12 months. And yeah. You, and you can get more than 10% in uh, a month. Which is brilliant, but... yeah, But obviously not sustainable every month. But even so, yeah, and still we, a good start to the year if you're an investor. It's very good. We should point out that... You know, the downside of investing in the stock market is that you can lose money as well as make it. So that's oh, it. Don't dampen the excitement, Well, we've Dan. got to. We get, to, we get told off otherwise. So <laughs> we'll get, we get nasty, nasty letters from all the um, important financial police people. So. <laughs> um, and if you look at investment trusts, they actually did even better. So investment trusts before the election had a bit of a double whammy and that the stocks that they were investing in weren't doing as well, um, particularly those focused on the FTSE 250, so the smaller UK companies. But then the investment trusts themselves, if they were focused on UK companies and UK smaller companies, would trade their share prices were trading at a discount. So you kind of got like a, a double boost there. So it means that the top performing investment trust went up by almost 16%. That was JP Morgan's smaller companies. That's very good, isn't it? So it's it's what what we're trying to do, um, a little sort of teaser. We are lining up some people to talk on the podcast about UK stocks very soon. So watch this space. We'll come out. 
I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I, I haven't told you about this, have I? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's I, a surprise I, for everyone yes, involved. Yes, yeah. So um, we'll, we'll get some we'll get some fund experts on the show to talk about that. So that's everything this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. Please do uh, leave us a review on the platforms which you use. So whether that's sort of Podbean or Spotify, uh, we love to know what you think of the podcast. So thank you ever so much, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.